Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting Teens, looking at principles that can guide your thinking as you try to lead and survive your teenagers. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Today we're going to talk about anger, about anger. One of the things I want to encourage you on, uh, apart from today's topic, but just in general, that particularly as your children go through the teenage years, keep telling yourself that you need to be a, a learner. You need, to, you need to get new material, ask new questions, dig a little deeper. I know you're tired, I know you're busy, but be an active learner and be growing in your faith because that maintains an atmosphere in the home of humility, teachability, because you're humble and you're teachable. And that doesn't necessarily mean that immediately you'll see the reflected response in your child, but nevertheless, you're sowing into their lives good things. Now, I've had you each make something out of Play-Doh. And look at this variety, you know. That's just great. I see pretzels, airplanes, ducks, you know. I see a baseball hat. I mean, who would have ever thought of a baseball hat? Okay, okay, now this is very important. Very important, the next step. Everybody with me? This is very important. Please don't get mad at me. But I want you to take your fist, and I want you to hit what you made. Just give it a real good sock. Okay, no, no, not ten times. I said one hit. What is this? Y'all have really just got it. You're wound up. Okay, now let's go around and look at them. It does not look quite the same. Now, some designs were more hardy. And others were less hardy. Okay. How long did it take you to make what you made? You spent from one to five minutes on it. How long did it take you to destroy it? A second. That is the danger of anger. It is something that can tear down what it took you a long time to build up. It's something that can be very, very destructive. And I want to uh, look at a verse. Any of y'all, you men in quest groups? Well, anybody want to say with me our verse that we're memorizing? Patience. James 1.19. Does anybody know how it begins? Oh, I love it. My dear brothers. See, it leaves the ladies out. No, I don't. <laughs> this is one time you're just as glad. No, it means everybody. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. doesn't say never get angry, but it says slow to become angry. Not a short fuse. Not easily, quickly provoked. And it says, so it says uh, a number of things there. It says everyone, not just women, not just men, not just grown-ups, not just kids, everyone should be quick to listen. And that's a, that's a lost art these days. We're all uh, looking for our chance to say what we think. As I said, the national average for communication with teenagers, for, with parents, is 
14 minutes a day, and 12 of that is the parent giving the child instructions or correcting them, and only two minutes average of meaningful communication. But every parent should be quick to listen. And you say, well, my, but my teenager doesn't talk to me. Well, you see, you have to get better at uh, figuring the thing out. You're no longer their main confidant. You're no longer the person they're trying to impress. And so you, ha you have to work at it. You have, to, you have to win them, you have to woo them, and most of the time it doesn't look like it's working. I remember the time I got out to throw the softball with my daughter. And I just discovered that that unlocked her mouth like nothing else. We talked for an hour throwing the softball back and forth, you know, and talked about the girls at school, her different teachers, all these things. And I'm just thinking, this is incredible, man. This just works like magic. You, there are things about your child, situations, moments, where they're more talkative with you than other times. And that's one of the things that you need to discover. You need to be quick to listen. Ask better questions. When they give you the answers, don't be so quick to jump on it and say, well, wait. You have time. Wait. Do you realize what's going on in Iraq right now? We have a situation where the war technically is won and yet continues. And we would just as soon work ourselves out of a job. What's the key to us working our way out of Iraq? It's training the Iraqi police force, right? Doesn't everybody realize that? Don't the Democrats realize that? Don't the Republicans realize that? Everybody realizes if we pull out without them being able to handle it, we're going to have an even bigger mess and we're going to have to go back and it's going to be worse. Do you realize that's exactly what your challenge is in the second ten years of your child's life? You're training the Iraqi police force. You have to train their police force. Why? You don't want this job for the next 50 years. <laughs> it's been okay, but you have a secret dream that they will someday move out and not be a criminal. <laughs> and not only that, that they will be not be a drunk and that they will eventually be able to take care of you. Maybe even support you if you need it. But certainly that you won't have to every day call them up and say, John, are you still in bed? He's 33, you know. <laughs> so, that is why strong arm tactics in the teen years in general are counterproductive. Why? Because you're coming in and doing it for them. As much as possible, you need to appeal to them to train, to, to work with you as you train what they need inside of them so that they will no longer need you. Not in the same way anyway. I mean, hopefully in the best circumstances we'll get the Iraqi police force trained well. We can back out, but we're there if they, you know, if they need a, a hand or an advisor or something like that. But we don't have to be in there doing it all the time. They know what to do, they're motivated to do it, and they, they carry it out. It's exactly the same thing what we want to do with our children. It says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. These are, these are some of the keys in training the Iraqi police force in your, in your child. Why quick to listen? Because what, what's going on in those second ten years is now their brain is developed in weird ways, but it's developed. But it's like the Play-Doh you originally got. And it was 
without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the waters, and you know, uh, like in Genesis. And, uh, and God said, let there be light. They start off with just sort of a, an unintelligible mass, and it has to be given form. And they have to learn not only what, what are the final decisions and the products of wisdom, they need to realize how, to, how do you get to that point? How do you look at a situation, how do you look at an invitation that you would like to take and realize, but it's not a good idea, so I won't do it. And so I'll, go, I'll use my better judgment to overcome my fleshly temptation, which even to this day, we still struggle with. It's not as though we've got it all down. And these idiots, you know, that are teenagers, that no, no, we, the struggles continue. But there are a lot of things you've learned, and a lot of them the hard way. It wasn't primarily always, uh, well, my mom said this, and so I've always done that. This is, no, I did the other thing, and I got the dickens whipped out of me by life. And I said, now, I, said, I know that, don't go that way. So as you work with your children, that's why it's so important, your level of communication with them. Because they're learning how to think. They're learning how to process. Do you realize the whole book of Proverbs was written for this? It says in the first chapter, paraphrasing, how in the world can we keep these teenagers from killing themselves or killing somebody else or having tons of babies or something else, leaping off of a cliff on a skateboard? And then the whole book of Proverbs, notice how short the Proverbs are? ADD kids, give them something brief. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm, Proverbs 13:20. They're just that it's so brief, just 10 seconds to say it. And yet such a powerful truth. The whole book of Proverbs is written trying to train the Iraqi police force, trying to pass on to the next generation enough wisdom to keep themselves from getting killed and to stay pretty much on on a good path so that God can bless them and that they can pass that on to their children. It says we should be slow to speak and finally, slow to anger, because anger sort of just gets you, It's like dropping a bomb, and then you have to pick up all the shards and the pieces. Now, everybody's going to get angry. What are... Think about it. Everybody in here gets angry. And, and actually, anger is not in itself a bad thing. It's a reflection of God in us. It's the... Originally, in its good form, it's the righteous energy that goes out to put down what's wrong. And so it's a corrective force to put back in order things that are out of order. But what has happened is we have fallen into sin. And so now it mostly has an unrighteous result in us. It's sort of like you train a policeman and you give him a gun. But then he goes bad. Somebody turns him. And so now he's a, what they call a dirty cop. But he's still got the gun. So before, you, you could count on him to use that gun appropriately to uphold what is good and to put down what is bad. But now he goes out when he's moonlighting at night and he shoots good people and uh, he hangs out with bad people. He say, good night, we've got to get that gun out of his hands. Your teenager has been born like somebody with a twenty-two gun. And if he uh, was still fully in the image of God and only in the image of God and with no sin... Uh, that, that would be a good thing. He could go out and 
shoot squirrels and you know to feed his family and and if there's somebody bad coming he could guard the house and all these other things but what does he do oh he uses it for target practice he shoots anybody he doesn't like sometimes he shoots himself in the foot and you think good grief you know well anger is like that gun you still have that gun that was only meant for good things but now most of the time because of our sinfulness we use it out of selfishness pride, self-centeredness, and things like that. Why do we get so angry? Help me on this. What are, what, what are reasons why parents, let's just stick to parents right now, why do, why do parents get angry? Let's talk about other people. Yes? What? Messy rooms. I mean, but, but not the first time, right? Yes. We, we take the time to share these pearls of wisdom that we have that are scars on our bodies and say, listen, this is not a good idea. And they go on and do it anyway. I think the biggest thing that, that uh, sets me off is the lack of first-time obedience. I, I cannot stand when I have to repeat myself and it's not acted upon. Yep. And, and, and I tried to say, well, you know this is what's going to set your daddy off. Yeah. <laughs> the little warning label on the package. <laughs> this could call <call> cancer. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Thank you for that transparency that we can all relate to. But you know, Henry, my, my hypocrisy as a parent sometimes can only go so far because I know what kind of a child I was. <laughs> you know, so sometimes I do struggle because just like, you know, you give great examples. I, my mom gave me a lot of great, you know, pearls of wisdom, and I didn't follow any of them. And, uh, you know, I think my dad had to repeat himself several times before <laughs> I would do anything. So, you know. And that was with a two-by-four in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is something as a parent. You know, I am disciplinarian, but I do have to remember that, uh, you know, as a child, yeah, some, sometimes you think, well, maybe this is a form of purgatory. We don't believe in purgatory, but it's like because of your former crimes, now you have to suffer the other side of the coin, you know? Anybody else? Yeah. I was, my son, uh, when he started high school, had a, a friend that was in a serious car accident. And it's like I told him, we can tell you and tell you and tell you to be careful and all these other things. So this is why we spend half our lives on our knees praying that you don't make mistakes that kill you or kill someone else. Mm -hmm. So you can say it, but sometimes you have to let them, especially when it's minor, you know, let them make their own mistakes. You have no other choice. That's right. Because <laughs> they're going to make them and you're not going to be there. You're going to find out about it afterwards. So you can... There are a lot of things you can do, but you can't prevent it. They're going to make their own choices. Anybody over here ever get angry? Or No, no, you know somebody that gets angry that lives next door? Well, why, do, why do people get angry with their teenagers? Not listening. They're not quick to listen, right? They don't listen. They don't speak. They, don't, they just aren't hardly even there, are they? All right. It can also be uh, with perceived rights. Why are you all making so much racket? I have a right to peace and quiet in my own home. I remember my brother and I, we used to, we got it. This is the, one of the, the most special moments in my relationship with my brother. 
he was six years older, so we had almost no intersection of our lives. By the time I got to grade school, he went to high school, etc. But there was a period of a year where we would play soccer in the upstairs hall. His room was one goal, my room was the other goal. And there was banisters in a long hall, and a lot of times we'd be playing barefoot, and we'd kick the banister, and a couple of toes would lag behind, and yell, and everything. My father's office was right under this. He worked at home. And when he finally couldn't take it any longer, we'd hear him come out of his office and say, Boys! <laughs> you know, and there wasn't any place outside to do that at our house, but uh, I know that he didn't just do that once. But perceived rights. And another thing might be blocked goals. Can't we just get to church on time and everybody be nice? Blocked goals. You have certain things that are your goals in terms of it might be social events. It might be related to church, schoolwork, whatever. You have certain goals. You have more goals for your child than you even realize. Cleanliness. They're eating. They're grooming choice of clothes for particular activities. I mean, you know, if you're at home in your bedroom and no one can see you, that's fine. They're cleaning their room. They're, as they get older, them driving carefully. They're working. You know, uh, have you done anything on getting that summer job? Yeah, well, I tried to call one person and they weren't there. <laughs> I've been talking to you about this for three months and that's all you've done? Blocked goals. Now, when you get angry, I mean, you've been slow to anger, you've been quick to listen, slow to speak, but it's still gotten to that point where even Job would have lost his cool and you'd have two. How do you express anger? Now, some people blow up and some people clam up. Some people clam up for a while and then they really blow up. That's how my dad was. My mom would just, my dad would say, she would chip her teeth all day long every day, you know. So we always knew what she was thinking because she could never hide it. And uh, my dad was just steady, steady, patient, patient, patient until kaboom. And it was like the atom bomb went off. But anger will always be expressed somehow. When, when you're angry, control is very low and energy is very high. That's why it's your most dangerous moment. Because you have a lot of power and relatively little control. Anger is like a type of blindness. All of a sudden the world sort of constricts. Did you ever see that that movie with the robot that when he'd get mad his eyes would turn red you know and he'd arm his gun you know but at that moment uh, you're not thinking straight and you're dangerous some people yell some people hit some people throw stuff I mean this can also happen of course in the marriage relationship I remember a friend of mine uh, them sharing about when his wife threw a frying pan across the kitchen at his head, missed. Some people are very good at using sarcasm. They would never hit, but they have a razor blade tongue. Others do extreme actions. I'm going to burn up all your clothes. You know. And then there are other people that clam up. 
they withdraw. Well, I'm just going to give you the cold shoulder. Like I said, that can be in the marriage, that can be with your child. Stew about it. The problem with, particularly with clamming up, is that with time, if it's not dealt with, it turns into resentment and bitterness. And it's one of the most toxic things. And you probably know somebody like this. It might be an aunt, might be a parent, might be a brother. Something happened, and they don't talk about it much. But to this day, they're, they're angry about it. And, and they're beyond anger now, because it started with a particular thing, an issue of inheritance or something else. And they were initially mad. They did some stuff. They weren't satisfied with the results. They resented it. And it just time goes on, you add other stuff to it, it's sort of like a snowball, it gets bigger and bigger. Finally, it's like these feuding families, they don't really remember how it started. All I know is I hate this person. And they're bitter. And any time the subject of that other person comes up, out comes this toxic waste. Because they've allowed it to destroy their heart. And of course, we've in the Christian world, we set everybody up. We have them pray this prayer every single week. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What a setup. But Jesus taught us to pray it, so we're going to keep praying it, and it must be good. But what we have prayed is, Lord, if I am not willing to forgive someone else anything that they did to me, please send me to hell. You realize we've asked God to do that every single week, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer? To God, it's one of the most important things that he's told us to do. He says, you, if you want me to forgive you, you must forgive everyone that's done anything to you. Somehow, if we refuse to do that, it, it cuts us off from being able to receive and understand what God's forgiveness is. Tremendously, tremendously important. Now, why is it so important for you to deal with anger? I mean, you're going to get angry. It's not a thing you're going to get to the point where you say, I really have not had any unrighteous anger for 10 years now. Yeah, you've been in the hospital in a coma. I don't know what. You know what I mean? Uh, I get mad in traffic. I get, you know, one time I came home. We were, we were living in Argentina, and, and our apartment was over the front door of the church. I don't know that I'd ever do that again, but we lived there for three years with four teenagers, homeschooling in a 1,000-square-foot apartment. And one of the things I was concerned about was, because we also had 25 young people that lived down in the Sunday school rooms for three years of training. <laughs> it was quite a community there. And, and, of course, my kids also had all of their teenage friends. And I was always concerned because, uh, you know, kids get into these... Uh, one of the things they like to do for fun is, is wars and throw things at each other. And height is always a tremendous advantage and with, with water balloons or whatever it is. And we had this great outdoor patio with a with a railing around it and I thought man we're, we're gonna our name is gonna be mud if my kids take their friends up onto the parapet and they use that to launch stuff down at everybody below and they're gonna think those crummy clays you know they're just you know taking advantage of it so I'd always told my son my children never never do that we get home one night and there's a whole group of people down below and there's stuff going back and forth and I just hit the ceiling you know it's just one of you have a couple of pet peeves don't you you have a couple of things that it just you just touch that thing and you're set off. Well, that happened to be mine. I didn't know it until the time, but I I said, "Who's that up there?" Dead silence, you know. <laughs> I said, "Show your face right now." 
Not a, not a sound, no one moved. You couldn't see anything. And I said, I'm giving you one last chance. Nothing. I stormed up those stairs. I was off the chart in, in, in fury, my face red. And like I said, that blindness, it's, almost a, it's not total blindness. You see one thing, and you're going to do something about it. And I got up there, and it was my two sons and their three friends. And the first thing I said was, Ouch! Out of my house! Leave! You know, etc., etc. So... I didn't curse, you know, I didn't need to. Uh, they had never seen me this mad before, and they were just transfixed. They were petrified. Uh, they almost couldn't even move. And I had to go back later and talk with them about that and tell them I was sorry that I had so completely and utterly uh, overreacted, and, uh, and I hadn't even let them tell me exactly what the facts were and stuff like that, you know, which there's always a few other details to take into account. And I had become judge, jury, and executioner. And that doesn't train the Iraqi police force. Because you're not always going to be around. And if you insist on being always judge, jury, and executioner, you have crippled your child. And so I had to go back and talk with them and, and, and hear their side, tell me what had happened, and tell each one to look at them I'm sorry that as an authority, I lost it. And I was out of control. Let's look at some of the ways in which you were out of control. But I also was out of control. Now, why is that so important? It's very important because you're going to get angry again and again and again. And it's most of the time not going to be righteous anger, not holy. You know, even if it's 98%, or still at 2%. Maybe you were sarcastic. Maybe you didn't have all the facts. Maybe you were a little bit quick on it. Maybe you didn't respect them. Maybe you embarrassed them in front of their friends. I don't know what it is. But the, the, the next verse after verse 19 of James chapter 1 says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. For the anger of man and women does not achieve the righteousness of God because we're fallen. This, that's a verse, James 1.19. You, you ought to make a note of that. You ought to write that verse down on a card or something, have it in your Bible, use it as your bookmark, pray that every day for yourself. Remember how quickly you destroyed the little thing that you built. And that was something that didn't mean anything in a sense. Uh, a cup, a plane, a pretzel. At the moment, it was fun. And frankly, even though it only took you four minutes to make it, and you're not going to take it with you, you felt something when you hit it. If you had put any thought and love into it, and any expression, you had a sense of loss. And anger destroys some of the most, can destroy some of the most precious things in your life. And so as you... As you deal with it, as you insist on dealing with it, with it in your own life, apart from just your own growth as a person, you're doing something extremely important for the Iraqi police. You're modeling dealing with anger. Because you know what? They came from you. Guess what kind of problem they're going to have in life and with their kids and with their teenagers. 
And if they can have in their mind my mom and my dad, whenever they did get angry, and boy, they had some doozies, and they'll have some stories about you, just like you have about your parents, and they had about their grandparents, but they will also remember that with that anger, I also remember that my dad came back later, and we talked about it, and for what he felt he'd done wrong, he asked for forgiveness, and he tried to change, and he got me involved in helping him do a better job. You reproduce after your own kind. And as nice as it would be, if you never sinned and never had any problem with unrighteous anger, you will. The next best thing is to model somebody who's humble enough to keep dealing with it and to admit it. Somebody in the Bible, a couple of stories in the Bible that uh, show uh, talk about anger is Cain with Abel. Cain just flew off the handle and murdered his brother. And King Saul... Saul gets mad at, at David who he perceives as a threat and tries to throw a, kill him with a spear. Anger is a murderous kind of thing. It's the seed of murder. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it said, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, don't kill. He says, I'm, I'm telling you, even if you get, even if you fly off the handle and yell at somebody, you idiot, he said, you're in danger of hellfire. God takes our anger very seriously. And if we'll take it more seriously, he'll help us to do a better job. Well, let me give you, a, are there any questions so far? That's a tough one, isn't it? But my kids forgave me. I remember one time, uh, one of my children, when I went to for, ask their forgiveness, they said, that's okay, Dad, we all make mistakes. I think there were only seven, you know. And you <laughs> Well, let me give you a couple of, uh, let me give you five points on some suggestions as far as anger. And part of being a learner, if you can uh, recapture what you had maybe at some point in your life of being a learner, uh, learners always have something to write with. They always have something to write on. They're asking questions. They're wondering about things. They're inquisitive. Uh, they work at b being readers, even if it's just you know looking up something on Google. And so I wonder what. But be a learner. You, you, this is your last chance. These are your last. You've really only got four, five, four or five years left. And once that is passed, they're going to be so far away. They're going to be at college and come. And you think, well, but they'll they'll be home at Christmas time. Yeah, maybe for a day, but then they've got this Christmas conference they're going to or to skiing or something. They are gone. Sorry about that, ladies. But there are some positive sides to it as far as laundry and cooking. But, um, and then they, then they fall in love, and if it's a guy, man, you're, they're out of there. They're at, the, they're at the wife's family. You know how that goes most of the time. And they, they live in Spokane, Washington, and you see them a couple of days a year. Unless he gets thrown out of work and they're having problems, so they come live with you. But it, you know, it can kind of—it's either—it's either everything or nothing. But this is your time. This is your half decade. And this is not a time for you just to be taking it easy and saying, "Well, you know, I'm busy and I got." This is it, man. This is it. If you don't have some of these books. These are other books, the books we're ordering on, on the disconnected generation. This is the time 
to wake up and say, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to look back on this in 10 years and say, why was I not more engaged as a dad, as a mom? We were faithful in running them around. We did a great chauffeur service, and we kept them fed and clothed. But we didn't train the Iraqi police force. And now they're making these crazy decisions. And I think back and I realize, we never talked about that. I never even brought up the subject. Might be finances, might be telling your girls the way men really are. It might, you know, it might be talking to your guys about the issues of discipline, uh, grooming, whatever it is. I mean, they may not listen to you. They're listening more than you think. You're sowing seeds that might not germinate right away. I've never been a great gardener, but I do remember one time planting radishes, and I could not figure out what was going on. I did everything according to the little packet instructions, the depth, where they are, watering, and I go out every day, and there's nothing. I said, did they sell me sand? You know, there are little things, you know, the radish seeds. And then I gave up. And finally, a week later, I came out and said, oh, there they are. Just took time. During this five years, you sow by faith. Now, if you sow in anger, it, it spoils a crop. At a time when things are peaceful, when you're throwing the ball or taking them out for their favorite dessert, say, there's one thing I want to bring up, just for you to think about. Because you know what, son? You're going to do whatever you choose to do in life. I mean, we're, we're still overlapping a little bit, but the day is coming so quickly when if you want to go rob a bank, you can go rob a bank. I mean, you may, within 10 years, you may be in jail. And I can't get you out of jail, son. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll come visit you, you know. And I'll write you letters. And, and if you want to be in jail, you can be in jail. If you want to follow God, you can follow God. You may decide you don't want to follow God. That's going to be your choice. I'll be praying for you, but I'm, I'm not going to be at the driver's wheel. You're going to be at the driver's wheel. And I want you to know, I believe in you. And I believe, not only are you not going to make some of those bad decisions that I made, you're going to be better than I ever was. Can you feel the power of that? It's just a simple word of hope and faith that you sow in their lives. And that's, that's an alternative to anger. See, anger tears down, it belittles, it destroys... And so we need to work at dealing with that. But on the positive side, we've got to get better at speaking good words over our children. Do you realize your children tend to grow up into the words you've spoken about them? You are so messy. 20 years later, they're messy. And deep down, whether they think about it or not, they remember, well, my parents always said I was messy, so I'm messy. You're messy right now, but I know one day you're going to realize that this reflects on you, it reflects on God, it's a disservice to others. And one day, you're going to be a neater person. Maybe you won't be the most neat, but that's okay. You know, there are different ranges of neatness. Right now, you're going through a hard time and you're struggling with some things, but I know that the day is coming because I'm praying for you and I know you that you're not stupid. And you're going to make some really good decisions. And you're going to become an incredible Christian. Well, they may or may not. But you can still believe, can't you?
They need you to believe in them. And if in anger you tear them down, say, well, you'll never amount to anything. Those words accompany them decades long. Even after your funeral, the words you've spoken over them accompany them for evil or for good. Okay, a couple of things. Suggestions. First, recognize and admit your anger. I'm not angry. <laughs> recognize and admit your anger. That, what does that sow into your children's lives? Humility. Just admit the truth. You know what? Maybe you didn't notice the other day when I yelled and threw that thing at you, but I was angry. Now, I don't know if you could tell, but I was out of control. The very thing I'm trying to teach you, and I showed you the wrong example. That's sowing humility in their lives. Might not germinate right away like those little radishes, but nevertheless, you're giving them a gift at that point that many parents never gave their children. I blew it. Will you pray for me? Have your child, even if they were also at fault, say, uh, you're, you're, you believe in Christ. Would you pray for your dad that I wouldn't be such a beast when I fly off the handle? Ask God to help me not have such a short fuse. Ask God to curb my tongue. You know, when I said that yesterday and I was sarcastic, I am so sorry. And that was so wrong. I can't take the words back. But I can at least admit they were wrong. The tendency of every child is to believe that their parents are right. Now, in the teenagers, they hide it pretty well. But that's why it's so important when you blow it that you admit it. Because if you don't admit it, what you're saying by your silence is, I got mad and I had a right to get mad and I was right in being mad. Even though you don't think that, you know better. But by not bringing it up, and we'll just let time pass, we'll just paper over it, let's bygones speak about bygones, we don't talk about it. What you are saying by your silence is, even in unrighteousness, I am right because I'm in charge. And you have sown something into their lives that they will pass on to the next generation. Yep. Once you, once you make your apology to your child, uh, they say apology accepted. And how do you, you know, what, what's a good way to move it on to, all right, let's deal with it? what it is that you did not to Right. You know, and they don't make that play. Yeah. Well, again, I find that as long as you don't do it in the heat of the moment, because that's when tempers are up, pride is up, blindness is... They're blind, too. I mean, they... That, I want to go to this thing, and I don't see why I can't go to this thing. And you're thinking premarital sex, you're thinking all these other things, this is not a good... This is not going to happen. So at that moment... You know, with that 16-year-old or whatever, you're at loggerheads. And you just have to work your way through that, you know. But this is afterwards. We're, we're, we're now, this is two days later. <laughs> and you sit down with them and say, I want to I talk to you about the other night. Because I, I felt like there were a couple of things that I, I could have handled better. You start off first lowering your guard. Because again, you come on with pride, they come on with pride. You come on with anger, they come on with anger. Or vice versa. We echo. Hello, hello, hello. So if I come out with humility, 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 
it will tend to echo in their lives. Because I'm the authority and I let down my guard. And say, now, that's where I felt like I, I kind of messed up our relationship. Now let's talk about, uh, let me explain to you what was going on there in my mind as far as your situation. Then I'm going to hear, now that we're calmed down a little bit and the thing has passed, I want, I want to, I, maybe I didn't hear you right. What was it that you were wanting? What, what did you, why did you think that that was a good idea? Tell, talk to me. I want to, I want to hear how you process that decision. And then, according to the information you get there, but now you're both calm and in your right mind, hopefully, you can deal with it. But now, see, now you're training the Iraqi police. It's not, it's not primarily a disciplinary moment now. It's a teaching moment where you're both kind of laying everything out on the table and seeing if you can, what things you can conclude together. You may not, you usually won't get a total agreement in everything. Duh. You know, the Iraqi police are not trained yet. But nevertheless, by, by laying it all out and thinking about it in a rational way, it often moves them a little bit further beyond just their own passions and deciding things according to their immediate wants and likes and dislikes. Second, try to identify where it mostly comes from. Can you go back and figure out why did I get so angry? Because you want to also express that to your child. You want to help, you want to dissect this beast. God came to Jonah, I think twice, and he says, Jonah, do you have any good reason to be angry? Why did you get so mad? Try to un understand that. Third, confess it and pray James 1.19 every day. Confess unrighteous anger as sin and, and, if, uh, and, and do it with the people that were involved, the ones that got the toxic fallout, waste, you know, all over them. Talk with them about it. Say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask the Lord's forgiveness and I want you to pray for me that the Lord will help me to be more like Jesus Christ. It's very, very powerful. It's hard to do, but it produces very good fruit. Fourth, Help each other diffuse it. Now, son, that was a very uh, disagreeable moment we had the other day. I felt bad during and after. You felt bad during and after. Let's talk about what we could do next time so it w we wouldn't be as provoked with each other. Uh, you, you came home and you'd put in 50 rings in piercings all over your face. Well, you know, it's your face. And in a couple of years, you know, you can put one big one right through your whole body. I don't know, you know. But while you're living at home, everything you do reflects on me. Now think about it. There are things that I do that reflect on you. What if I came to get you at school and I had on shorts and black socks, sandals, and a tank top, and I was, you know, some of the sunglasses I have that Wendy says look like I'm a fly. And I, and I go into your room and I call John. How would that make you feel? I wouldn't like that. Well, John, there are things that you do that make me feel that way. And I really want to try to respect you. And so I need your help so that you can give me some guidance on I, where I can kind of try to flex to keep you from being absolutely, totally embarrassed in front of your friends because of me. You know what? Same thing happens to me. Sorry. Maybe I should be beyond that. 
But maybe these are a couple of things that would help me too. Can we agree to talk about that some? But process how you can help each other to defuse anger or head it off at the past. Last, process it with your kids afterwards. Talk about it. Don't just let blow-ups go and think that time will solve anything. It teaches them not to deal with things. And just like you have anger in your marriage and to the degree you've learned how to deal with that, you're progressing. But if you don't deal with it, it's only a matter of time. It's a wedge that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, we're done. Why don't we pray? Lord, help us to be learners. Voracious, eager learners. Because we have a mission that will last only for a few more years. And we need to be the best we can be. And we need to keep growing up. Not kicking ourselves, but trusting you that we can, we can grow. We can, we can be better. Help us to train our Iraqi police force and our kids' lives. And to realize that just being judge and executioner isn't going to get the job done. It might put out a fire right now. But later down the road, I won't be there to do it. Lord, help us to pray every day as you remind us to, that you'd help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we thank you that we've been able to talk and share and pray together today. Bless us, Lord, as we try to bless our children. In Jesus' name, amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.